material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, But as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyer has reviewed other places where documents in my uh, of from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas in file cabinets in my home and my in my 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 personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center, the Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately uh, uh, notified, and uh, the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. The Biden Pennsylvania Corvette, Pennsylvania Center. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is January 12, 2023. That's President Biden admitting for you and for all of us that apparently he's been keeping classified documents in his garage locked up with his Corvette. I want to know, are they in the Corvette? Does he drive around with the classified documents in the Corvette thinking like he's some kind of, you know, James Bond agent. That's why he's got the, you know, the glasses, the shades he's out there. But Joining me to go through this and some other stuff that we're going to be talking about is Dr. Taylor Marshall. Dr. Taylor Marshall, we've been talking a lot about uh, Pope Benedict, his letter this week, Cardinal Pell, but I've got to come into this right off with with Biden and the classified documents. Now, what are we to make of a story like this from the guy who told us for the last year or so that because Trump had some classified documents, again, secured in a in a a secure area at Mar-a-Lago, that it was high crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, it's odd. I mean, I have an old Corvette, but I don't drive around with documents and I don't have my kids birth, you know, birth certificates and the passwords to all my devices. A, a Corvette is especially like an old Corvette, like the one Biden has. I mean, that's like to joyride, to go out on a Sunday, to have fun. You don't transport secret docs in your classic car, in your Corvette. So it just reveals the hypocrisy that we have in America between the two parties and, you know, Biden versus Trump, that uh, having them in your house, like you said, is is a crime. And then driving joyriding with with important secret docs, I guess, like, does he have them in the passenger seat of his Corvette? I mean, Corvettes don't have trunks. Traditionally, the old ones, like the one he has. There's no trunk in them. So you just kind of have to put it in the in the car with you. There's really no way to lock up any documents in so a classic Corvette. Whether or not it was in the car, right? And and get serious for a second. So we actually have to ask the question now, who all had access to this garage? We're told they removed several times. So where were they before they removed? So who's got to so now put on my Intel officer hat here for a second. Now you've got to look at spillage because that's what this is considered. It's considered spillage. So you've got to look at what damage was done to national security by these documents. So first you're going to need what the contents of the documents. You're also going to need to then find out what 
potential damage could have been done to national security because we were told, at least for the original tranche of documents, that that had to do with Ukraine, kind of a big deal. Um, then the UK in 2016, where all of Russiagate took place, um, that's where Crossfire Hurricane was going on. That's where Steele and these guys were having their meetings. That was all being done and conducted out of London. And so the question for us, number one, what was in the contents of the documents? We need this. Number two, what was in, uh, who else had access to that garage? And, you know, Dr. Marshall, I'd love to ask you, we've got this new Congress in, we've got these new committees. I think this is something that obviously should be investigated. Do you think that the way the new committees and the new Congress is currently situated, do you have confidence that they'll be able to get the job done on this and the other issues that they're focusing on? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, is, is what are we expecting of our, our president, our vice president, those in his cabinet? I mean, are there any official rules and policies about documents, locations and all that? I mean, I, I think there are. Uh, it seems that, you know, even going back as far as Hillary Clinton and whatnot, that they play kind of fast and loose with this. And now that we live in an increasingly more digital and, and cyber environment, I mean, you don't want to, I mean, what if the guy at Jiffy Lube who changed the oil on the Corvette has a copy of all these files? I mean, I mean, it, <laughs> it gets ridiculous, right? Or the guy who vacuumed out the Corvette, does he, does he have them now, you know, in his, in his apartment somewhere? I mean, this is kind of ridiculous. Uh, well, we already the know that, that the same it. family that, that leaves their, their, you know, class, not classified, but sensitive documents and sensitive laptops out at repair shops in Wilmington. It doesn't go back and, and take up with them. So this is the same type of thing that we've seen with the same family. And of course, to just to reiterate for everyone out there, the president of the United States has sole declassification authority that can be delegated. The vice president does not have that authority. It's not of the same authority to unilaterally declassify documents. The vice president can receive declassified documents. But you notice in that statement, which is clearly written by the White House counsel, that was not the case. They did not say these were declassified documents. They said documents with classified markings, which means they were not declassified and they're trying to play games with it. So I want to hold you on over the break because there is a lot more that I want to get into. but. Before we do, just a message to everybody out there. If you're watching this on your phone, hey, stop scrolling. Just stop. If you are looking for quality content and stories that actually matter, here's what I want you to do. Go to humanevents.com slash POSO and sign up right now for the POSO Daily Brief. If you're tired of digging through the fake news to find stories that the mainstream media buries, go to humanevents.com slash POSO and sign up for the POSO Daily Brief. If you want more POSO, if you want more about the stories that I'm reading, the stories that matter to me, go to this site, humanevents.com slash POSO. You can sign up for the POSO Daily Brief, get it delivered to you directly into your inbox. Breaking news this morning and Cardinal George Pell has died at the age of 81. The senior Catholic passing away in Rome overnight. Cardinal Pell was sensationally jailed in 2019, found guilty of child sex offences. Those convictions later quashed by the High Court of Australia in 2020. George Pell was ordained in 1966 and rose through the church ranks to become one of the Pope's right-hand men. He was appointed to the Vatican Commission in 2002 by Pope 
Pope John Paul and a year later became a cardinal. He was appointed the Vatican's treasurer by Pope Francis, a position which is third in charge at the Holy See. And while his own convictions were quashed, his handling of sexual abuse within the church has long been criticised. Just repeating that breaking news this morning, Cardinal George Pell has died at the age of 81. So that's the mainstream media report from Australia on the passing of Cardinal Pell. Now, Dr. Taylor Marshall, we covered here yesterday the letters or really the articles that were penned by Cardinal Pell. Um, He had intended for them to come out this week. His death comes as a shock to everyone. He had just scheduled surgery. He was recovering. Uh, He was attending the funeral, funeral mass for Pope Benedict uh, in Rome while when he, you know, to use the phrase, died suddenly. Um, walk us through, though, these articles that came out from Cardinal Pell and how important they are, and specifically you know, to the non-Catholics out there in the audience, to get an understanding of how big of a deal this really is. Well, you have to know that Pope Benedict XVI, who was the Pope Emeritus, passed away on December 31st of 2022. So the Vatican is still reeling from this loss, from this controversy. And, and part of the big controversy, in order to understand the the person of Cardinal Pell and the person of Pope Ben the 16th and and the controversy here is really there's been a battle in the Catholic Church since about 1963 all the way up to 2023 over the debate should the Catholic Church modernize and update and get with the times should the church have women in leadership should the church have women ordained uh, what about uh, gay marriage all these issues are out on the table. What should the liturgy be like? What about modern media? And there are really two camps. One is to preserve and conserve the tradition of what it meant to be Catholic for 2000 years. And then the other one is to, in a way, follow the culture and accompany, to use a phrase of Pope Francis, to accompany the culture and become more lax on those issues that seem out of touch or medieval. And Pope Benedict, although as a young man was maybe more progressive, as he was older and as he served as Pope, he was really more of a traditional conservative. And the current Pope, Pope Francis, is very much seen as a modernist and a progressive. And Pope Benedict dying on December 31st, in a way, that movement of the traditional conservative focus in the Catholic Church, it sort of broke open that wound. You know, it ripped off the Band-Aid. And so now, in these past 12 days, that discussion, that debate, that argument has sort of spilled out of the Vatican and people are noticing it again. So Cardinal Pell was one of the very vocal critics of Pope Francis. He had been hired by Pope Francis to basically be the overseer of Vatican finances, of the Vatican economy. And he began to find irregularities and he was around that time accused of sexual abuse and removed. And then just recently, he died after a routine hip surgery, literally a day or two before his article critical of Pope Francis in his direction. And people are some some are saying, is this foul play? Um, it might be too soon to, to even debate that. But he did die uh, days ago. And then this article comes out in which he just I mean, he rips into the policies of Pope Francis. He calls it toxic. He calls it a toxic nightmare. It's some of the strongest language. And you can only imagine if if Cardinal Pell were still alive, if he hadn't died just a few days ago, how much trouble he would be at the Vatican. So he was he was planning, by the way, to have this published 
I mean, it was, he wasn't planning on passing away, I guess is what I'm saying. And so the no. plan was for him to have this published either this week or next week. The Spectator said it was upcoming. He was going to really launch a massive broadside against the papacy of Francis, or I should at least say the the theology of the papacy of Francis, rather than uh, because he doesn't actually name Francis in the article. But what he does is he takes the acts of Francis and just sort of uh, really takes them down one by one throughout the article. Yes. And then there's something that just came out this morning that uh, a while back, a a memo was sent out to the Cardinals from a Cardinal who remained anonymous. And the code name on the mem- memo was Demos, which is Greek for people. And it detailed the mistakes and the errors and the problems with Pope Francis, and then set out a plan of action for electing the next Pope who would not have these defects and problems. That circulated around. It was kind of a big splash in the media. No one knew who Deimos was. And this morning it was released that Deimos was Cardinal Pell. And that seems to match, that language seems to match what we saw in Cardinal Pell's article for the spectators. So Cardinal Pell was definitely um, contrary to Pope Francis, whether he named him or not in this article, it's obvious to everyone who knows what's going on that Cardinal Pell, um, once Pope Benedict died, was going to initiate some sort of response to Francis. And we had a liberal cardinal uh, just about four days ago indicate that he said that there are conservative cardinals who are planning to oust Pope Francis. And people have wondered, is, is that a false flag? Is it legitimate? Well, just seeing these things about Cardinal Pell, and then we can maybe talk about Archbishop Gergenswein from Germany. There is sort of a, a info dump right now in the Vatican, and it is negative towards Pope Francis. So it seems like, to your point, that the death of Benedict has sort of triggered this debate, and it's also given an opening for the conservatives in uh, in the higher ranks of the Vatican, in the higher ranks throughout the various countries to come forward with a lot of these misgivings that they've been having because what you're seeing under Francis and for for folks out there that that are just totally lost in the conversation is that th- this goes far beyond what Vatican II was talking about. This is a full-on diminishment of what it means to carry forth the traditions of the church and to open the church up under the name of ecumenicalism, under the name really of diversity and inclusion, diversity and inclusion, respect for other cultures. But it should always be the goal, at least at least from my perspective, the goal was it should always be to evangelize the other cultures, right? You are, you know, uh, every, every, uh, everyone is welcome, right? To become Catholic and learn the Bible. That should be the goal of the church, right? Um, and to and to preach the gospel and spread the good news. And yet that doesn't seem to be what Francis is doing at all. And he's holding these international summits to bring people in that in in many cases, and you're you're you know, in the US we we'd we would just say woke. We would just say they're becoming more woke. Yeah, exactly. And and what you just summarized right there could be a perfect book report of what Cardinal Pell wrote in his attack on what he considers to be what he names a toxic nightmare. And he says, you know, the, the purpose of, of being Catholic or being a Pope or a Cardinal or even a layman is just, as you said, to bring people into the love of Jesus Christ, to save their soul, to get to heaven. And so when you look at the pontificate of Pope Francis, it's, it's very much about wokeness. It's about, um, you know, green theology, ecology, the UN, the EU, 
deals with the CCP, Abu Dhabi meetings. I mean, it's just extremely political and secular. And the, the inspirational focus of who is Jesus Christ and how he can transform your life and redeem you is not often present, if at all, in the teaching, proclamation, and preaching of Pope Francis and his policies. That has the, the people down in the pews concerned. You know, it's right. great. You, you, and people hear in the more, e- you hear politics from the pulpit rather than theology. Dr. Taylor Marshall, hold you back. Last segment coming back here at Human Events Daily. And we're back. Jack was over here with Dr. Taylor Marshall. Now, Dr. Marshall, obviously, I've got to ask you the question because I've had you on before to talk about the book, uh, Antichrist and Apocalypse, where you're talking about you know, an understanding of the Antichrist, un, you know, an understanding of what the apocalypse, which, of course, apocalypsis, the Greek word for revelation. So the book of Revelation, actually, in Greek, you would say the book of Apocalypse. We've got a letter now that's been published posthumously. It was a private letter from Pope Benedict. And I believe all the way back in 2015. So he's just stepped down, it's been about two years, he's writing to someone, and he essentially states, and this person has has released the article now, has released a letter now because he's passed. Benedict, who had written extensively about the Antichrist throughout his life, states unequivocally in this letter that we are living in the times of the Antichrist. So my question to you is, how soon can you get volume two of your book out with the new foreword by Pope <laughs> Benedict with the right. full letter? You know, you've got a, yeah, that thing's, that's, that's the old version one, you know, that's, we need version two now. Right. But what, yeah, what, this, no, no, the new version note, of Antichrist, we, in a, you know, what should we, what should we take away from this? Yeah, well, basically a, uh, uh, a Catholic statesman, his name is Vladimir Polko. He received some private correspondence with Pope Ben the 16th. And there's this letter that he received that he thought was, I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful and he didn't speak of it. He didn't release it. And then once Pope Benedict died, he said, now is the time to reveal it. And the, the really powerful statement that everyone's talking about and discussing goes like this in English. We see how the power of the antichrist is expanding And we can only pray that the Lord will give us strong shepherds who will defend his church in this hour of need from the power of evil, end quote. So he doesn't just say like the Antichrist spirit or demonic influence. He says the Antichrist and how we need shepherds. We need pastors right now to defend his church during this hour. You're not talking about you know, in the decades to come, he's saying in this hour of need from the power of evil. So this has got everyone discussing, did Pope Benedict believe that he was living in the end times or the prologue to the end times? And uh, I mean, you go back and Roger Ayer, who who released this, this letter, he goes and chronicles all the different times going back into the, the 60s, maybe even far back as the 50s, of Pope Benedict, then Cardinal Ratzinger and Bishop Ratzinger and Father Ratzinger, discussing this eschatological end times apocalypse theme of the Antichrist. And it seems to be something very much on the mind and the heart of a younger and then a more mature Ratzinger Benedict. Which, I mean, it, keep in mind, when people bring up um, that that Ratzinger, of course, lived through World War II in Germany. Um, so, and then, of course, 
lived through the the aftermath of that, lived through the Cold War. So he he saw quite quite a bit of absolute human horror during his lifetime. And yet he, it seems, believed that something worse was not just on the horizon, but was actually coming here and now. Yes. And then you have to mix into this that in 2013, he became the first pope in 600 years to resign the papacy. So Dreher mentions in the piece that he, he says, should we look at it? And I'll ask you the question. Should we look at the resignation in the light of perhaps him believing that the Antichrist is coming? And did he did he feel like like he wasn't prepared to uh, to lead the church through the fight against the Antichrist, that he knew he was he was becoming ill, even though, of course, he lived for a decade uh, there since. I mean, does that make sense? Should we look at it that way? I think it's a valid perspective. I, I don't know if I would completely re- agree with Rondra there. And then, of course, there was this whole news, this buzz that the spiritual last testament of Benedict was going to be released after he died. That came out. I did a video on it on my podcast. It was kind of a a dud. There was nothing, kind of nothing substance burger. there. What's that? Kind of a nothing burger, as we would say. It was a big time nothing burger. And and we would expect something to be more about his resignation, the, his successor, Pope Francis, the Antichrist, something. And it was really nothing. So, you know, did he resign the papacy because he thought he would be, maybe be the Pope of the Antichrist under the Antichrist or the Pope of the end times? I mean, I think anybody, if they were told, hey, you're going to be a president, a senator, a pope during the during the time of the Antichrist, you would begin to sweat bullets. So, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. But I just think it's amazing that he was already thinking that we're moving into or are already in the great tribulation of the Antichrist. And he's either right or wrong. We either are on our way um, or he was just, you know, misled in, in his own prediction of that time. But it certainly got everybody thinking about it. Well, I couldn't agree more on that. And 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 certainly there there the other leading theory behind behind the resignation to say that, you know, if it wasn't to do with health was that it was wasn't necessarily a resignation, but more of an ouster. Exactly. And I mean, I, I discussed that in my other book, Infiltration, and, and you look at what happened to Pope Benedict in 2012. Um, you have all these documents. Speaking of documents being left in Corvettes, Joe Biden, ah, all well, these documents from the Pope's personal apartment are being published in newspapers and published in expose books. This was happening in early 2012. And then the Pope's butler, I mean, it sounds like the movie clue. The Pope's butler was arrested. He pled guilty, was found guilty and put in prison for smuggling and releasing private top secret documents of Pope Benedict XVI. Pope Benedict went and visited the butler in jail pardoned him, and then just a couple months later, renounced the papacy. It's a fascinating story, and we don't have all the facts, but definitely something was going on in 2012 um, behind the scenes, and it wasn't, I guarantee you, it was not just the butler acting alone. Many people were involved. Dr. Taylor Marshall, before, we've only got a couple of seconds left. Everyone go watch the Taylor Marshall show on YouTube. Go get the book Antichrist and Apocalypse and his other book, Infiltration, as well as uh, was it Sword and Serpent, right? The uh, the children's the yeah. well, really young, young adult, more of an adventure series that you written historic novels. But I've also got to ask you real quick before we end, just saw the news that broke earlier earlier today that it looks like Mel Gibson will be with Jim Caviezel starting to film. 
Passion of the Christ 2, The Resurrection, all about the descent into hell. How excited are you for that? On a scale of one to 10, I'm at about 38 right now. I'm so psyched. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think Mel Gibson is, regardless of, of what you think of him, I think as an artist and as a director, he is brilliant. He's inspired. He's a, he's a Michelangelo of our time. And uh, I'm glad he's working with Jim Caviezel again. And I think it's going to be a magnificent production. And I can't wait to learn more. And I can't wait to sit down and see it. Couldn't agree more. Dr. Taylor Marshall, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.